This podcast is about sex, and there is discussion of trauma and traumatic sexual situations. This podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Kia ora and welcome back to The Good Sex Project. I'm Melody Thomas and this is a Good Sex Project bonus episode. So through the series, there have been people who've given us incredible insights and advice, but where we couldn't squeeze all of their wisdom into the episodes themselves. And we don't want to let that good stuff go to waste. So here it is. Extra listening for the extra interested. These bonus episodes are more unscripted. It's just listening in on two people having a conversation. And in this one, we get a little buzzy. I'm fascinated by the dragonfly that's just come in here and is buzzing around. With Sonia Waters. She's beautiful, was she? Yeah. Oh, oh look. Oh, look at and that. left just as it's easily so as, beautiful little. as the dragonfly came. <laughs> Sonia Waters is a somatic sexologist based in Wanaka in New Zealand's South Island. And as well as that dragonfly, you might be able to hear a cacophony of cicadas in the background, which is annoying for podcast recording. But if you're listening in winter, maybe it'll give you a nice summery feeling. Sonia is certified with the Somatic Sex Educators Association of Australasia and is doing her master's degree at the moment in psychology with Massey University. Her thesis is about embodied self-pleasure, which we're going to hear more about soon. So for this interview, I flew to the South Island and travelled by bus and car to Wanaka and stayed in a cute little guest hut on Sonia's property. I spent the day there and we had a really wonderful bracing swim in the Clutha River, incredible pastries from the Pembroke Patisserie, and we did a somatic sexology session, which I was terrified about, but was a really great and at times confronting experience. I actually recorded my session with her to share with you because I was hoping for some good animal noises, but what I didn't anticipate was the guttural sobbing that I'm not going to put you through. So don't worry about that. That can sit in the outtakes. But it did have a really big impact on me. And I think for anyone who's listening who's a little cynical or like me gets up in their head and overthinks and has trouble shutting off the brain to tap into the body, somatic sexology or somatic therapy is a good avenue to explore. And then we also did a really lovely interview, which we're about to hear. And this covers everything from desire and libido in long-term relationships to recovering from trauma, managing jealousy and watching pornography. So on that note, here's my interview with Sonia Waters. So I invite three breaths with you, Melody. Inhale through the nose. And exhale through the mouth with a really long, slow exhale. And notice what is, what sensations there are in your body. And then here we are. <laughs> so I am Sonia Waters and I am a somatic sexologist. I am a student in psychology, a student of life, a student of adventures, 
and where shall we begin to quote Esther Perel (laughs) who I I love so when people ask what somatic sexology is what do you say how do you explain it sexology is more the science of sex and intimacy and relating somatic is the key word to me and somatic is the soma is all the body and its living processes to access your erotic self your sexual self the best way to do that is from within your body Mm. not your brain the main keys to this work breath sound and movement you know as we started this I invited some breaths with a long exhale so the intention of that and the purpose of that is to down regulate breath massages the heart it changes the digestive system it affects the nervous system and all of that affects our sexuality if we can um, be aware of ourselves and regulate through our breath we have you know it's it's potent so breath and then movement what do you feel in your body what needs to be touched what needs to be moved stretched exercised yeah sound is an interesting one because we have so many inhibitions in making sound and being loud Mm. we're not allowed to be heard making loud primal vocals (laughs) sounds feeling vibrations that's liberating and we're inhibited because you don't be heard the neighbors will hear Mm. your flatmates will hear your parents will hear whoever's around the children will hear whoever's around Mm. but actually ah does it matter you know I'm thinking about the um kind of hands-on embodiment work you do with people and whether with couples you're helping them with these things in non-sexual settings or whether it is an erotic session with them no it's very seldom do we in a session Mm. build eroticism to Mm. any orgasmic level but mostly people come needing to down regulate Mm. needing to communicate and I give them a whole bunch of tools that they go away and practice with. So yeah, let's take a scenario where um, the woman comes in and she's lost her libido and she doesn't know where it's gone, like a thing, it's disappeared. And then what is libido? So people conceive it as this like thing, this energy, this uh, like natural instinct to want sex. And there's the key, is the wanting, the desire. So my desire has gone. Why? Is it because actually there's just too much in life to even be bothered Mm. with something that's not essential to survival? (laughs) Um, It is, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. Evolutionarily, but yes. But at this moment in time, my children are Mm. hungry, the house is a mess, the work's screaming at me Mm. and all the things... Um, I haven't got time Mm. for even wanting it. Uh, What we're talking about here is desire. So that's one thing, having time. Uh, The other is, if all of my previous experiences are that this sex gig is really not particularly fulfilling, why would I want it anymore? (laughs) Or 
actually don't know how to ask for what I want or I don't even know what I want. Uh, those are all pieces that weave together to say, my libido's gone. Because when I was 23, I could just look at somebody and want sex with that person. Or maybe I'm the kind of person who never looked at somebody and wanted sex with that person. Like we all come from a different place of drive. Mm. And so when we piece together those bits, when we weave those bits back together and we say, let's practice on our own pleasure, what does pleasure feel like in my body? How do I access it in my way? And we do that through breath and sound and movement and practice and embodied self-practice. There's a whole bunch of shame around masturbation. So I'm like, I, I don't use that word anymore. Um, and embodied self-pleasure, ESP, is kind of like this lovely little acronym that makes us smile <laughs> and so practicing ESP which by the way is the subject of my thesis is is part of what we do to increasing libido mm. and knowing that it's a conscious start we go I'm going to practice I'm going to set a timer and I'm going to intentionally practice pleasure um, and then we want to communicate that with our partner in a way that um, if we've got a partner in a way that actually gives us the touch that we want uh, we'll work on that for a few sessions and then in three or four sessions time maybe the partner will come in and we'll work on communication and building together how intimacy can flow and asking for what we want is the way to get what we want within my romantic relationship i I don't think it's an issue. We've known each other for so long. Our communication is, I feel very safe. But but it just makes me think of all those people who are in um, not less safe but more casual situations mm -hmm. or and how incredibly difficult it must be to... I know how difficult I know it is to mm. voice those things mm. and how much easier it feels to just kind of go through with something that we're not even really enjoying to get it over and done with. I've heard that so much. Yes, are we enjoying or enduring? And enduring is going over our boundaries. We are outside of our yes boundary. And so that's a key piece. The wheel of consent, which was developed by Dr. Betty Martin and applies to all aspects of life, understanding where our boundaries are and being in our yes. Mm. And knowing that when we're in our hmm, maybe, that's a no, actually. That's an enduring already. Uh, and so coaching both partners, once we get to, you know, once we get to the practicing ESP and the breath work and the actually understanding where pleasure sits in our bodies and what turns us on erotically and expanding our individual pleasure language, then bringing two people together who have both done that and going, okay, now we communicate it together and we find what yes is, what no is, and how to navigate our ways so that both people are in the yes mm. all the time. We're not going to spend five minutes waiting to say it's not so good. We're going to go, oh, could you possibly shift or can you try this way or may I that? Or we navigate to a yes for both. Mm. 
And we noted, uh, we spoke a little bit earlier about the things that get in the way, like the busyness of life, mm. the children, the housework, the being hungry. Those are all things that put us in a no. I, I can't, I don't have time to focus on us right now and this intimacy gig right now. So actually, let's do these things together and uh, bump shoulders and pay compliments and laugh and connect while we do these things mm. and build intimacy through the mundane, mm. you know? I just feel for people out there just it's like bumper cars or something or people driving around with blindfolds on no one there must be so much hurt and Mm -hmm. and enduring not enjoying and trauma and yeah and trauma happening Mm -hmm. out there Mm -hmm. and I imagine a lot of your workers are not necessarily not I wouldn't probably not undoing the trauma but um finding tools to manage Mm. we can never undo what happened but we can rewire how our body responds to it in the present moment. I think when we hear trauma, a lot of the time we think about the more extreme, like sexual trauma or physical violence. And mm. um, But, you know, when you describe that kind of just getting through it, sex as enduring and not enjoying, mm. that is some kind of trauma, I would say, happening. Yeah. And is that where, is that one of the places at least where we can become separate from our bodies mm-hmm. yeah the the enduring is dissociation mm. uh, and dissociation is a trauma response and it's a big piece for many people and sometimes they don't recognize that what they're doing is dissociating so so how do you find that grounding? How do we find safety in the body? How do we find trust in the body and in the person that we're working with at the time? And trauma is more in our conversation now. And we talk about big T and little t. We don't have to have been you know, in the Afghanistan war and shot <laughs> mm. or raped to experience trauma in the body. But... We also need to say, actually, those kind of big events are really big mm. and and not to diminish them by all having trauma. Mm. <laughs> um, there are nuances in the conversation. Yeah. And, and, and that said, actually, most of us have some element that we're fighting against in a patterning, which is the little t, the traumas that come up, that stop us from speaking up with our partners or lock us in some pattern of dissociation or hypervigilance or, you know, it's, it's there. Do you um, have some, ex- for people who are listening who mm. might not know that this is them, mm-hmm. do you have any examples of, you know, things that might act as little flags for those people? I'll speak from my experience I used to get quite a lot of migraines when I was younger and my partner then, who was 20 years older than me, coached me to believe that sex was good for migraines. I don't know where he got that information. But anyway, it taught me to endure sex when I didn't want it. I was 
ill with blinding migraines and he was fucking me. He had a very high libido <laughs> and I was very young, I was in my twenties. And I learned that actually just having sex and looking at the ceiling was the way to do that. So, yeah, for listeners, if you find yourself uh, being penetrated and you're looking at the ceiling and you're going, what's for dinner or what am I doing tomorrow? Uh, Those are signs that you're not present and in your body and actively engaged in the intimacy that you're in. Once you've developed that practice of not saying anything and of enduring, it's very hard to change the pattern. Saying no is easy to say, hard to do. Mm. <laughs> but an essential part of actually going, no, this isn't, this isn't me. I've received questions basically from listeners along the lines of our sex isn't pleasing me um, but it's been going on for so long like this how do I have the conversation that essentially says you know we've been having not great sex for so many years you know it's really hard to say let's do something differently without also saying it's been not good right up till now and that kind of conversation have you is that a conversation that you sit with people and guide people Mm. through Mm, yeah when couples show up for the work they're clearly both wanting to work on something and improve something and so yes we can talk about the past but we don't need to bag it unless it needs bagging <laughs> um, but generally people are showing up and you go all right how what is it now what would you like in the future how do we make this more connective and um, intimate together so when um, you know you talked about quote-unquote libido and people but especially women part of what's getting in the way is the busyness of life is part of the answer then and this can be feel probably impossible to a lot of people but clearing space and Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like that would be so hard for so many people and yet we make time for cleaning our teeth every morning and night. We make time for going to the gym if we need to. We make time for going for drinks on Friday nights. Actually, the relationship is a thing. But if we visualize two individuals as two spheres, when the spheres are out in space, they're two individuals living their own lives with their own friends and activities and work and everything. The two individuals come together, and as those two spheres come together, they intersect. And the shape that those spheres intersect at is called a visica Pisces. In the relationship is this togetherness in the middle that is a thing that needs to be looked after. And so just as the individuals need to go to drinks on Friday night with the workmates, the individuals need to look after that relationship in the middle. Mm. And you make time. If we can't just automatically find time, we need to make time. Organising a date night. Organising the alarms in the morning to give us 10 minutes or 15 minutes of spooning together before we get up and shower and go to work. Whatever the thing that allows us to connect when we're sitting at the dinner table to play footsies or sit close to each other or whatever it is. Doing the dishes. Um, coming in behind the other one and giving them a hug. The micro moments 
in daily mundane, mm. mundane life, um, our intimacy as well. Sitting on the couch watching a movie together, foot rubbing together, you know, all the little things make up intimacy. It's not just the big sex project. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The human race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about, you know, the two individual spheres and that place where they cross over also made me think of Esther Perel and I think it's right at the very beginning of Mating in Captivity where she's talking about when people become kind of melded together and how, you know, excitement and, and all of those things that we're looking for in long-term relationships. It's so easy to find at the beginning because you're reaching across distance towards each other, but mm. then mm. as you become better acquainted, well, a lot of couples seem to merge into one and then there's none of that space anymore. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And we can finish each other's sentences and we know exactly what we're doing at every moment of every day. And that's boring. <laughs> yeah. And so actually coming apart a bit, having the two circles have their friends and their interests and having that static energy between the two, you know, the power of attraction like magnets that are held apart, not stuck together. That's where the, the erotic friction comes, tension, and it's positive. Um, and without it, we just, we're soggy and we become complacent with each other. And that's the biggest killer in my book, complacency, just taking for granted. Mm. How do you keep a relationship fresh? How do you keep that static friction um, between two people alive and new? Just like libido, it's a conscious, like, I want to have intimacy with this person. I'm going to 
have some space for myself today and have a bath or whatever it is that makes me feel kind of luscious in my body. I'm going to wear my pretty underwear. I'm going to whatever. Um, and then I'm going to breathe and get myself done regulated. And I'm going to invite him to, I don't know, spoon. It's mixing it up and keeping it mm. fresh. Mm. Having intention to keep it fresh. Having intention to keep intimacy alive dreaming up new ideas for things to do stuff to eat ways of touching places to be having little pieces of newness cleaning your teeth with your other hand i like the microness of these things because i think a lot of the time when people think about you know we need to spice things up you know it's a threesome, or it's, mm -hmm. I don't know. What mm -hmm. it, or another toy. Or another toy, yeah. And that's all good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Watching porn together, mm. um, or not watching porn together, whatever you normally do, shift it. Um, porn is a, a, a toy. It's a sex toy. It's a, it's a resource that can ignite the imagination and it'll be really fun. And is really useful to some people. Porn can also be completely dysfunctional, as in it is a made-up story fabricated from bodies that are shown in snips that have been um, practicing for hours beforehand using drugs to get to the state of expansion that is required to do some of these circus tricks. It's not real, unless we go to uh, paid porn sites and actually ethical porn. So there is some art there, but it's not the mainstream that our children are seeing, that our teenagers are seeing, that we're growing up in our sexual world seeing. So I want to put that out there. Porn has its benefits, and we need to know that actually it's a, it's a game. And then for the people who don't like porn who say it's not okay to watch their their point is valid too and I wonder how do we as partners who have quite different views on porn in that scenario come together and go actually accept that it's a tv program that someone is getting off on and empowering uh, their erotic imagination with um, and how do we, when we're using too much of it, regulate it and come back down to a place that actually our partner can feel included in? It's not another relationship. It's, mm. it's a tool. Mm. Yeah, I used to be very black and white about... Well, I used to just be quite anti-pornography, I think, but that has definitely changed over my life. But I think ethical pornography has helped with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't watch porn. Mm. But I went into, um, in managed isolation, uh, two weeks, I'm like, and I'd just, I'd just been, I'd come back from Australia and I'd spent like tons of money in the sex shop in Sydney. So I'd never been to a sex shop and bought things. So I spent money on a whole bunch of toys. I had two weeks in managed isolation with my toys watching porn. I'm like, this is educational, Sonia, you've got to do this. It's research. <laughs> It was loads of fun. Yeah. And actually um, normalising these things mm. is part of accepting them. Like it, 
if you see it, you can see what the thing is rather than this mystery behind the unknown, which is frightening. Mm. A friend recently said to me that they're, I think they have a you know, pretty happy relationship, but they are a little complacent. And she was like, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And I think porn can be, especially, at least for me personally, the ethical kind where I feel like no one's being exploited, um, can be a good tool for, you know, checking in with your bodily responses to what you're seeing and discovering things you might not have known you were interested in. Yeah. Do you have tools for people who, you know, want to move outside of what they're doing, see what else might interest them? Just go and explore. Just go and... There's also written porn. There's audiobooks. Yeah. There's podcasts. And there's old art. Mm. There's um, architectural sculptures in India. There's... uh, The erotica is all around us in different media that suit the different people. Mm. Uh, D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover. Georgia O'Keeffe's Paintings of Flowers. Mm. Um, your own garden, the exploration of the elements. So we don't have to go to porn. There are so many other aspects of the world that can find um, we can find pleasure in our bodies from. Go and stand in a freezing cold river, which we can do after this, the Clutha River, um, and descend very slowly into the river and feel the ring of cold rising up your body as you breathe. And notice that ring of cold coming up. See what it feels like when you go up your genitals and over your breasts and up to your throat. I guarantee you'll have a lot of sensation. Mm. Um, do that in the dark with your partner. It, there's so many places that we can find newness, which is what porn is offering. Mm. Um and so go and explore porn, go and buy some toys. Don't become reliant on any of them. Be curious about all of them. But then I guess if your sexual relationship with your partner has been not very exciting or pleasurable from the start, then it's hard to have that drive to want to maintain or hold mm-hmm. on to that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and not all relationships are meant to last forever. A season, a reason and a lifetime, mm. you know? It's just because we come together in intimacy at one wonderful, amazing time full of limerence and newness doesn't mean we're going to be here in 20 years' time still together. And I think one of the um, things with early relationships is looking too far ahead. Be really jolly present (laughs) and just enjoy the now. Um, When we come to relationships... And we come to them from a place of being two whole human beings, or three or four whole human beings, however many there are in this relationship. It's that wholeness, the completeness, the ability to support and satisfy and be on our own within our communities and the support that's around us. But being whole people, then we can come into relationship with others not needing something from the other. Then we can be completely in our agency when we come together, empowered to ask for what we want. And then on other people and seeing other people in daily life and being attracted to other people, 
we don't own our partners and we're not compromising our primary relationship by looking at other people or even getting intimate and hugs or everyone has different levels mm. of acceptability in relation in monogamous heterosexual relationships and homosexual relationships and every relationship they have their own boundaries and actually talking about what those boundaries are and accepting that they may change through time or they will change through time is a really important conversation to have. Stephen and I have just been talking about what does the next five years look like? What and Who knows what's around the corner? But actually one of the key pieces for us is having a primary relationship. It doesn't. It's not exclusive. We give each other permission to look and see and play and who knows where that goes. And the key is aliveness and freshness and newness and honesty, mm. communicating. Yeah, I think that the too many relationships do struggle because there are different needs that are not being communicated. They're being felt, found outside the relationship. And actually, if we just talk, we just listen, we be open, we be curious about what that might bring in mm. to the relationship. If we can introduce curiosity, we've, we've engaged with our ventral vagus nerve and actually that's the connective piece. It's the connection with self and other that allows pleasure and growth and expansion and fun. So how is embodied self-pleasure different to masturbating or different to, I guess, you know, having an orgasm just to go to sleep or mm-hmm. how, how is it a different practice? The difference is the embodied, being aware of your emotions, the felt sense, using your breath, sound and movement, being curious, changing things, trying something new and different and not being orgasm focused. Mm. It's not a goal. In fact, if you orgasm, that's great, but it's it's so not a goal, that's not the point of it. So many people get so focused on the orgasm that they forget all the pleasure that is around it. And so I talk about orgasmicity. Uh, and I'm going to do gendered um, stereotypes again for a moment, so excuse this, but mostly guys will uh, come to orgasm really quite quickly. They'll really know what seven, eight, nine, and ten feels like, and then boom, they're off to sleep. Mm. Um, For them, the practice on embodied self-pleasure then is playing around two, three, four, five at the most. Where are the subtleties that I can feel in my body? Where are the sensations? What is the touch? What's something different in you? And this helps guys um, expand from, you know, maybe... 30 seconds or three minutes to orgasm to being able to last half an hour or an hour or whatever it is that they want to, being not being hijacked by their own, like, gone, um, expanding their language. And for uh, female-bodied people, the rising up to... Because often we get to play in two, three, four, five. And so if that's the pattern, actually giving yourself the time and the space and the permission to play in the seven eight nine and ten if you like 
And if she's given the spaciousness and the pleasure that she wants, mm. um, then her body can come into arousal. So actually aligning our arousal to periods is some of the result of this ESP work. Once we actually can regulate our own erotic system, we can come into alignment with our partner much mm. more easily. Mm. And if you, if you want to come in three minutes, that's wonderful. Sometimes it's but, great. Yeah. <laughs> and then having the resource in the body still, if you are with a partner, mm. um, to still be able to engage in pleasure together. Mm. And, you know, dudes don't have to be hard for that whole time. Soft cocks do great jobs too. <laughs> the soft cock plays just as well and has just as much sensation as the hard cock. Hello, Stephen. How are you? What amazing timing. <laughs> Isn't that true, darling? Yes. <laughs> the genitals are not the only part of sexuality. Bring touch to the ears, the neck, the face, the belly, the nipples, on all bodies, we often give touch that we most want to receive. Mm -hmm. If we think of primary and secondary erogenous zones, so primary being the part of the body that first wants to be touched, and secondary, the second part. So on a body that has a penis, the first part that wants to be touched is usually the Penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the penis and maybe the nipples, mm. primary zones. Um, and then once that's aroused, then that penis owner will secondary feel pleasure in the rest of the body, the ears, the neck, the face, the feet, the legs, the belly. And in the body with a vulva, what's the primary zone on that body, what wants to be touched first? I'm guessing it's not the vulva. <laughs> Correct. It's all the other parts. Yeah. It's the neck, the shoulders, the arms, the hands, the belly. It's the breasts maybe, but not the nipples. And so when we have two bodies who can communicate, I like this and I like this, then they get what they want, right? And then we add... Um, arousal and uh, other elements of sexual imagination and the hard cock doesn't matter as much as the whole body then actually the whole body becomes erogenous and once we take the focus off the goal of orgasm or off the goal of an erection it's like looking at a light if you look at the light bulb you can't see the, anything other than that and you can't see anything Actually, look around the candle flame. Look around the candle flame at everything else that is around it and all of a sudden you will see the light in the candle. But you look at that spotlight called orgasm or erection or whatever it is that I can't attain, it'll be forever blinded. Soften the light, soften the touch, slow the down. <laughs> slow down everything. Um, and play with up-regulating, play with down-regulating. So I'm not saying be slow all the time. Mm. I'm going to play mm. with the whole body. Mm. When you just describe it in that way, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And I can also see 
why, especially in opposite sex sexual situations in a gendered and patriarchal world, we end up with penetra- unsatisfactory straight to penetration sex happening so much. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. bodies are yeah. wired differently, and one is one set of needs is overriding the yeah. other. Yeah. Mm. And he will go straight to her genitals, and she'll go <gasps> and endure it or not, and she will go to his ears and neck and he'll go what are you doing just get on with it (laughs) yeah let's get to the point so actually understanding each other's body language is important Mm. and communicating their needs I think that a lot of sex is portrayed as hard and fast and penetrative And what I'm encouraging here is down-regulate, soft, slow, explore with curiosity, and then let things rise, and then let it fall, and see what happens. Um, It's it's about expanding our erotic language. We go hard and fast at everything. Slow down. Thank you so much, Sonia. That was Sonia Waters, who's a somatic sexologist, intimacy guide, and the CEO of Wild Self. You can find her information in our show notes. If parts of this conversation resonated with you or you have unanswered questions, let us know. You can email goodsexproject at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram at goodsexproject. And we'll see you again soon. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. It, it, yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Okay. Nothing iffy in there. That on. sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.